Gig Gab, the Working Musicians Podcast, episode 145, for Monday, December 18th, 2017. Greetings, folks, and welcome. Gig Gab, the podcast by, for, and about working musicians here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton. Here in Las Gatas, California, Paul Kent. How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. We're deep here into the holidays and you know all that that entails. How about you? All that that entails. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just actually wrapping some Christmas gifts before we recorded <laughs> today. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, it's good though. I like the holidays. It's fun. It is fun. Yeah. I got um, offered a a Christmas Eve gig. And I originally, originally I said no, cause I have, you know, family things. Yeah, and then yeah. they just kept, they kept, they kept upping the ante. And finally it's just such a good deal. It's a half hour at a private party just to come sing some harmonies with acoustic madness. And so it's just a, a, like a nice little gift that I'm going to get on, on, uh, on Christmas Eve and really nice people. So it'd be kind of a cool That's party cool. too. Yeah. Those yeah. kinds of things are always fun. I actually, for the first time and perhaps the last time, I mean, it's the kind of thing just doesn't happen. I actually have a gig that, well, I guess technically isn't on Christmas day, but, uh, they at Seacoast Rep, they are doing two performances of Rocky Horror this year. Uh, one of them is on New Year's Eve at midnight. So New Year's Day. And then the other one is on Christmas Day at midnight. So, you know, starting 26th, it. really. Yeah, starting yeah. it. But I got to, you know, I got to leave the house. I got to be there, you know, before that. But um, both of the New Year's shows already sold out. And the Christmas Day one, I was looking a couple hours ago. There's, I mean, there, there's some, but maybe, maybe 5% of the seats are left. I mean, it's mostly sold out, which. Was this a tough one to sell to Mrs. Hamilton? No, she's going. On Christmas Eve or Christmas Day. So, no, in fact, when this came up, they the, the family asked me, they're like, are you going to be playing that? Like, well, that's a good question. We should have that discussion. And uh, she's like, well, we're going to go either way. She said, I already bought tickets. I'm like, well, you might want to cancel one of those because I already have a seat. That's I have a good, good seat. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, I probably don't have a good seat. I think I, it, this is the same place where we do all the madhouses it's with the same directors that do madhouse and uh, therefore a lot of the same kind of cast and 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 people working with it but uh where with madhouse the band is is really a part of the show we're right on stage uh, you know kind of in the thick of everything with this i think i we are in the pit there's another show going on there that i'm not playing drums for called the uh, the winter wonderettes marvelous wonder i think it's winter wonderettes and uh I'm you we're using that pit for this. And I think that's like way up and out. I I may not see anything. So that's okay. I've never seen Rocky horror in any capacity in my entire life. So it's possible depending on where the pit is, I might actually survive these two uh, performances without that too. So we'll see. That's cool. Yeah. You you play recently. I did. I played on uh, Friday night with Amanda. We did, uh, it was just a duo gig, but she's like, you know, the way this place is, bring a full kit. She's like, bring a small kit, but bring a full kit. So I did. I brought, um, you know, a four-piece kit with small toms, and, and we crammed in. And it was actually a blast. It was just a, you know, a little a little bar, um, and and we were kind of – well, actually, we had we were in a good spot. 
But uh, just her with her acoustic guitar and, and me with the, the kit. And then we obviously had vocal mics for, for singing harmonies. What's the value of doing that? Do people dance? Is that why a full, is that why a full, um, a full kit, you know, it seems weird, just acoustic guitar and drums. So what's the value of doing that format? It did seem weird, but it really works. I've done it with her once before and I've, I'm always kind of against it because like comparing the logistics of, getting a full kit set up into a room versus the cajon, which I can literally unzip the bag 30 seconds before we start. And I'm good to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the pay is usually no different, but um, uh, she had, she had done a bunch of gigs with another drummer uh, for a little while. And, and he brought a kit cause that was all he had. And, and it actually works with, with kind of the style that she plays and, and that sort of thing. It there, there's, there's definitely moments where the kit, makes a lot more sense so i I mean i'm not you know i'm not putting the cojones aside we'll use that most of the time but um but it was kind of fun it was weird though because that you know this club had its own sound system they had two speakers um flown you know powered powered speakers and then they had a mixer and it was a soundcraft mixer good speakers but you know it's always a little weird in a new room anyway uh and then also using, you know, a mixer that may or may not be what you're used to and all of that yeah. and and really not being able to hear. So, uh, you know, we got things going. We got the Braille mix up and all of that. And I know Amanda's guitar, generally, just the way her pickups are and stuff, there's never enough low end coming out of it. So I always like goose that a little bit. And, you know, I got things to where it seemed like at least the reflection that was coming back to me sounded okay. And after like the first song, there was a guy sitting there who said like what he said was uh, you got to like the EAD strings uh, aren't aren't coming out enough. Like they need to be more present. It was like, okay, so clearly he's at least somewhat versed. And it's like, okay, great. Yep. She needs more low end than I had given her out of this thing. So, okay, no problem. So I did that. And then uh, like two songs later, I asked him, is it okay? He's like, can I come up and tweak the PA? And you know, every, like my advice to anybody listening to this show is that the answer to that question, 100% of the time is no. Like you never let somebody, just some random dude come up and tweak the PA, but he seemed to really, not only did he, did he like seem to know what he was talking about? He seemed to know the room. He had clearly, he was a regular there, but, but he, he clearly, I don't know. He just, Gave off the vibe of somebody that that knew what he was doing. He came up and I watched what he did, obviously, just to make sure he wasn't doing something stupid or, you know, going to cause it to feedback or whatever. And and he didn't. I mean, he came in and I watched what he was doing, dialing it in. It was like, OK, great. You can hear out there. That's great. And and, it, and then it was great for the rest of the night. But it was weird, you know, just letting some stranger come up and, and tweet. Yeah. PA. But it, I think he had even played there before because he knew like, I mean, he knew. How would you know? Well, that's the thing. You don't know until it starts to happen, you know, but yeah, <laughs> but it, it worked. So there you go. Yeah. We had a guy come up and want to sit in with acoustic madness, uh, on harp and, um, he had the wrong harps and, you know, it, it just, it just, it, when you have, when it works out great, you know, when you, when you let someone, you know, behind the curtain, when it works out great, it's cool. Yeah. But when it doesn't work out great, it's really it throws off a lot of stuff. I mean, especially if you've been working hard to like craft a vibe at a particular show, you know, and 
it's just a really weird thing. You know, people want to sing, people want to, you know, sit in and play. I still, I don't really understand. I guess, I guess the cool thing is if you wanted to ask, ask, but know that it's a big ask. Yeah. And, you know, don't be butthurt if, if, uh, if the answer is no, because the answer could be no for a bunch of reasons. We have, we have a fair amount of people who we invite to sit in. 90% of them we know right. with acoustic madness. And then 10% is what you're kind of describing is like, does your gut tell you this is going to be okay? And, uh, and I guess, you know, eight times out of 10, it's fine. And two times out of 10, it's a disaster. It's a disaster. Right. That's the thing is the disasters. And we, we've all experienced them, but. But it can be fun. It can, it can, you know, obviously it can be change, some new changes. Yeah, things up. Yep. Change it, the energy in a room. It, well, and that's sort of where if, if, if there's any question one way or another, that's, that's a big factor in the decision is like, what's the energy in this room? Is it a laid back gig? Is it a high stakes gig? Like, I mean, and where does that sit at that moment? Right. What's the rest of the crowd think about this idea of this guy coming up? Like, you know, because there's usually you can usually kind of get a vibe for that without, you know, without actually putting out a, you know, let's take a poll. For sure. But you can just sort of feel that out. Like, okay, is this going to be all right? Or is this like the worst risk that I could take at this point in time? But there's also that the vibe that the person brings with them. I mean, you know, you ever you ever have someone sit in and they can play. But they give us this vibe like that's right. I can play <laughs> like like yeah. almost like an entitlement. Like it, it, they certainly have chops, but they don't have any humility and they don't have any you know any kind of karmic vibe to them that works. And but some people are really grateful for the opportunity. Yep. Some people know it's a goof and well, you got to have fun. I think if you're gonna sit in with someone, it needs to be like joy that that you, yeah. that you just ooze on stage, and then it's cool. You know. Yeah. We have at one of the gigs that we do, there's a there's a guy who we let sit in once and he was fine. Sure. Fine fine to okay, right? And he he's, he was a big Beatles guy, is a big Beatles guy and you know that's his thing and and uh, he comes to every other gig and he just kind of like does a flyby on the assumption that this is now a regular thing. Oh yeah. You know that type? I do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, you know, I've been, I've been pretty vocal with, with uh, the other acoustic managers that that's not a good idea. And, uh, and because again, once it becomes a thing, then, you know, there's nothing but heartache waiting ahead. And it wasn't so good that it changed anybody's night. We did it as a, you know, kind of a nice favor to someone, but, um, I, yeah. I never, I don't think I ever asked to sit in and I'm extremely uncomfortable when I'm asked to sit in because in my mind is like, Am I supposed to return the favor on this? You know, know, there's all sorts of things that go along with it. So I'm really hesitant about about accepting an invitation to sit in, you know, only people that I really know and that I would want sitting in with my band um, or that are really clear that, you know, it's a it's a one time thing. There's no reciprocity automatically here. And again, I might be overthinking this and injecting a little bit too much ego. Just every gig. Like you said, a gig takes on a life of its own. There's a dynamic between the people on the stage, the people listening, you know, how engaged, how much, how much of those people come to see me or whatever group I'm playing with. Right. Right. They didn't ask for this other person. Right. And Yeah. But if you're in a club where you're just playing to the crowd that's there, that's a whole different vibe than this is, you know, the crowd that we brought into the room for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're right. You know, the, the, the first rule to create comfort amongst all participants is do you give off a happy vibe? Like, are you, is this a, is, you know, you'd be happy if, if, even if you ask, are you, 
if if the answer is no, are you cool? Not like you jerks, you know. Right. And, or if the answer is yes, do you come up and do you add something? To, I don't know that I've good. ever asked to sit in. I but you know you know that I know, you I, get asked. I do. Right? Yeah, I, I mean, not all the time. Uh, you know, I would say more often than not, I don't. Right? Even if I know the musicians on stage, it's like I'm there to support them. I'm there to not even support them. I'm there to see them play. Like I'm out for a night of 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 enjoying watching music. Sure. You know? But but you know, like for me, and we've talked about this, watching music. Always like in the in your brains or in my brain anyway, starts to relate to, oh, you know, how, how would I play, y- you know, or what can I learn from these people? I mean, there's always like parallel things going on when when I'm just, you know, sitting, just sitting and enjoying music. But uh, but yeah, I I'm always like I even when somebody asked me to sit in, it's OK, what are we going to do? Like, y- you know, like, let's make this. It is the idea that you've got for me to sit in such that it's going to be a nice little moment for whatever, whatever is happening here. And if it's not, yeah. then I don't, I don't need to be a part of that. And I a feel, couple months feel ago. the same way, you know, in, in the reverse when I'm playing, yep. can I bring somebody up and make it a nice moment or is it just going to be like, are we just checking a box? And if that's checking a box, no. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I was sharing a couple months ago uh, that really nice guy, Steve Witchell, who does the cover band Central, yeah. who's, you know, he's a he's a regular player in New Orleans. And when he, I told him I was coming down, he said, you have to come sit in, you have to come in, sit in. And I really wanted to, but work got in the way of me being able to do it. But he created such a like, I just want to jam with you. Like, I just want to connect with you as a musician. It was a very pure thing that made me feel really comfortable. I, yeah. I to this day really regret that I wasn't able to take him up on it. But that that's that's a way to ask, you know, like. I really want to jam with you. I'd like, you know, you, we're two people who don't know each other that well, but we seem to have some common interest or, you know, a common yeah. vibe, yeah. you know, let's see if it, if it translates into music. That was pretty cool. That's yo, that's that. I mean, that's the most pure that it could be. It's, and especially if, if it's possible to convey that vibe to anybody that's watching, which, it, which it can be for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Drums are a particularly interesting thing about sitting in because drummers seem to get in and start moving stuff around, and you know you don't. It's also such, such a physical instrument. I know, I know. Joe is really careful. Like you're one of the few people Joe ever was cool with sitting in on a set because some guys would beat. You know, we'd have friends of friends, and they would beat the crap out of you know someone's drums, and you know just have really little respect for someone else's instrument. Drums seems to be a uniquely different thing when you're doing sit-ins. I I think. Uh, People should not be sitting in on on drum set at, <laughs> at, at gigs, and I I mean I feel that way about myself too, especially if the night's going really well. I mean here, so here's here's a couple of reasons. Number one, what kind of music is being played such that a drummer change is going to be something that is notable, right? I mean, mm-hmm. let's face it: if you're out there playing Stones tunes all night. Yeah, I mean, there's, you know, you're going to have a different style, which I'll get to in a second. But it, it's, you, you know, a drummer's not taking a solo in the middle of of brown sugar, right? So, <laughs> so what, like, what's the what's the benefit? What's the ad there that you're doing? Other than, like you said with Witchell, like, oh, it's cool, let's let's jam together. But like, it's, I feel like that's great. But there's got to be some like opportunity for this to to be a thing that makes sense to someone watching. And and then the other thing, uh, and most of the time with drums, it's not, just in case I wasn't clear. The other thing is, and I've seen this 
in clubs where there's two people and I've seen it in arenas where there's 15,000 and the same effect happens. If people are up and into what's going on on stage and into like dancing and all of that, if you change the drummer, it doesn't matter how good either drummer Mm -hmm. is. It changes the vibe dramatically. Different drummers play grooves different ways. They play different volume levels, right? I mean, it, it's just, it's so much of a, a radical change that it, it can throw the whole thing off. And I've, I've seen it happen. I've been party to it happening. Um, the kind of the biggest example I've seen was when, uh, for their encore one night in down in Worcester, Fish asked Kenwood Denard, who's, I mean, one of the, like, premier drummers on the planet and one of my personal favorites. He just happened to be off, you know, to the side of the stage watching the band. He was you know, mm-hmm. there for the gig. And, and I, Kenwood even said, no, like they were trying to wave him up and he was like, no, 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 no. <laughs> like in the middle of a tune, they're trying to wave him up and they finally did. And they brought him up and they switched things and it totally changed the vibe of the gig because Kenwood played, you know, we had had, this is a three hour show and, you know, two hours and 48 minutes of it was with one drummer and then suddenly for the last 12, where it's supposed to be the peak of things, it's the encore, whatever, suddenly you've got this totally different vibe. And it was, it was frankly awful. It was awful. Anyone My favorite else, movie is happy to see Kenwood Denard play, but not that night. Not right, right. My yeah. favorite movie is Bull Durham. That's my favorite movie of all tra- time. Okay. And one of the great lines from Bull Durham is never F with a winning streak. <laughs> if you're going good, because they don't come along that often, right? Right, right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 And this gig was going particularly well for fish. So it was like, yeah, you just, just leave it alone. Don't F with it. Just leave it alone. Yeah. Yeah. So I really don't think you should change the drummer. Like if, if somebody's going to have me come up and sit in with them, uh, you know, I'll say, oh, you know what? You want me to sing a song? You want me to sing harmonies with you? Like it, if you have other percussion on stage, like that can be a cool thing that doesn't change kind of the way the engine runs. And I and I think that's the thing. Also, bass players, generally, there's no real value in having a bass player sit in. It, it needs to be like a, a solo or a featureable. Instrument. Well, sit-ins are like sit-ins are a social construct. I'll tell you that. I, I mean, I, it's really about, you know, you want to extend some friendship to someone, you know, on, on almost anything. I mean, again, assuming a sit-in is going to change planning on a sit-in to change the energy of the show. I guess, you know, if it's some superstar lead guitar player or, you know, soloist or vocalist, you know, maybe, but I think in general, the, the, the most common construct of a sit-in is a, is a form of courtesy, maybe a form of respect. Right. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, it's not really so much, I, I, I don't know. I don't, it, it, before you started talking about this, it never dawns on me that it's a construct of, of, you know, what the audience is going to get out of it. It is a, you know, an innocuous. Yeah attempt to you know show some respect you know give some love to a musician that you like the unknown ones are that is more like a you know is it a friend of a friend you know like like the the concept of of a totally unknown person walking up and saying hey can i sit in i mean how would you know right you know in in the course of time and I, i i i can't imagine you know i think those have gone as many times those have gone south as they've gone well. Oh, yeah. Like singers who just can't carry a tune and right. get up there. And, you know, and that's the worst because, you know, once they get on, once they get up there and then they hear themselves not carrying a tune, then it gets even worse because then they 
devolve into pantomime. You know, it, it yeah, really, yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a terrible yeah. thing. So I don't know. Fish offering one of the greatest drummers in the world an opportunity to come up. That's a that's a leverage risk, right? Oh, it wasn't like the guy was going to, you know, not be able to play, but he played. I mean, they they clearly had zero conversation with this guy about like how these tunes went. And uh, and he you know, he played one tune with like a halftime groove that that fish plays without a halftime groove. And it was like, all right, this is different. And I can see (laughs) that, that, you know, as musicians, especially guys that have played that particular song, you know, for 30 years or whatever, like, oh, cool, we get to play it a little differently. But for the crowd that, you know, like this is the reason people come to see you, like is the for you guys. I don't know. It's just one of those. I don't know. I, I just I I don't think you should change out the drummer. I've always felt weird about it. You know, it's like yeah, rarely, rarely does it work. I'm all and I'm whenever I do it, I'm always hyper aware of like, OK, the crowd's up and dancing. Like I'll start listening to how the 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 drummer, you know, the, the main drummer in the band, how he's playing like his kick drum. Is he more of a four on the floor guy or is he playing more like accents with the bass player? Like what's the vibe of this? And then I try and, and chameleon into that as much as I can just to keep the, the groove going. I mean, if nobody's up and nobody cares, then it doesn't matter. But if you've got a you know house full of people that are up and grooving, it's like, oh, it's always that way for me. It's like, oh, yeah, okay, I got it. Basically, I need to go up and be that guy for you know two songs or whatever it's going to be. Like, okay, fine, whatever. Social construct. Social construct, yeah. Hey, uh, I got a new toy that I've been playing with. Yamaha sent me this thing they call the, the well, it's, it's the EAD-10, which is a very non-sexy name. It's, um, it's a cool little thing that mounts on my bass drum, and it's got two things in it. It's a tiny little box, um, maybe the size of... Uh, I don't know, two cigarette packs on top of each other or something, I guess. And uh, it's got a microphone in it. And the microphone actually sounds really good to mic a drum kit from there, from like the top of the bass, you know, from the top of the hoop of the bass drum. And then the other thing it has in it is a trigger for the bass drum itself. And then these two things wire in to a brain that, takes the signal from the trigger, but also to the signal from the microphone and can do basically anything you want with it. And there's really two use cases that I've, I've been playing with. Number one is for like studio stuff. It's really cool. Cause you can get, and they've got all kinds of different patterns and patches and vibes that you can do and getting these triggers happening, but also these patches have um, like, like effects and things that they put on the, drums too so you can get like you can put it in like let's say hip-hop mode or or jungle groove mode where you know you get like just different tighter sounds with the way they do compression and stuff but also maybe a tambourine happens also when you hit the kick drum um that tends to work really well for recording and and studio stuff i played with it at band rehearsal the other night though in a live setting and basically turned off the microphone because I don't need to mic drums in my studio here like that. That would just add to the noise. So I killed the, all the gain on the microphone and just use it as a trigger and actually added a second trigger to it. The, they've got a DT 50 S, which is a trigger that just built to sit on your snare drum. And those two things actually work together. The brain is aware, can be aware of, of multiple triggers 
and having all these cool sounds. There were a couple of tunes where I I started pulling in like different sounds and it it could be I I could see this being really cool in a live setting. Again, you know, maybe for three or four songs a night, not uh, for the type of music I play, not for everything all night long, but, but having this stuff and you know, it's so easy to use. The triggers could basically stay on the drums in their cases. You don't even have to mess with it. You just wire them in and you're done. And, um, it's pretty cool. What's the cost? So it's, uh, let's see the, the, the trigger itself, I think they, their MSRP is six twenty nine for the kick drum trigger in the and the uh, brain, but I think I saw it on Amazon for like four ninety nine, and then the the additional trigger for the snare drum is a hundred bucks. So and um, so I know you, and you would be really picky about the mic, and so the mic placement and the mic sound you're actually finding is use, usable. You know, I was really surprised. I mean, all I did was some some quick recording here and then also just listening through uh, headphones that I had on while I was playing. Yeah, for, you know, and I would even say I would use that mic for two potential things. Well, three, one, certainly in the studio, it, it could it could work. Maybe it wouldn't be your only mic, but it certainly adds an ambience to it. Um, live, I could, I could totally see using it as a kit mic in a room, sort of one of those midsize rooms where you need more than just maybe, you know, kick and snare in the, in the mains. Um, but you, you don't need like close miking everything or whatever, like those midsize rooms where you just want to be able to sort of control some extra presence to the drums. I think it could work really well for that. But then also for in-ears, anybody that's playing with in-ears, you know, to bleed in some of that that ambient wash from around the kit. It's in a perfect spot to get. I was just really blown away by how, how good everything sounded with a mic. That's just, just sitting right there. It's pretty so cool. We're going to mount on the top of the bass drum. Yeah. It, it just clips on or you, it, it, you sort of clamp it onto the rim of the bass drum. And uh, the mic is sort of on top of the hoop. And then the trigger is underneath the hoop sort of pushed up against the head so that it gets the vibration off the head. And of course yeah. you can, you can set the sensitivity of the triggers both on the bass drum and, and the one they sent me on the snare drum so that you can, you know, like I had the snare drum trigger really hot the other night at practice so that I didn't have to hit the snare drum hard in order to get whatever the triggered sound was going to be. And, and there was this one tune that Mike actually brought in. It was a new original that he's got. And the verses are almost like this spoken thing and it like almost rap kind of vibe and, and everything's really kind of stripped down while he's doing this spoken thing. So for the second verse, I kicked in just the triggers and really just played my snare drum with a rim click really quietly so that you really didn't even hear the rim click. You just heard the trigger of, of, you know, what it was coming out. And I found like this, this hip hop kind of thing. And it was, it was a really cool thing to kind of bring that in for a verse and then kill it, you know, for the rest of the tune or whatever. So. That's pretty cool. interesting. Yeah. That's yeah. expensive though. It's expensive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's got triggers in it and you, you want, like, if you're going to use triggers on your drums, you need, you need triggers that are going to work and be reliable. And, and yeah. so they've, you, you know, you can't just like, well, if it works half the time, that's cool. Yeah. Not so much. I mean, All you right. know, for playing around at home. Sure. But you, you know, and you're right. You wouldn't spend this kind of money for playing around at home, but um, for a gigging thing, like I would have, if I knew 
I, w- I was going to bring it with me to the gig with uh, with Amanda on Friday, where I knew I had the the full kit. But then we all we wound up taking one car because there were some problems or whatever, and it was like, yeah, you know what? Too much confusion tonight. I'm just going to leave it. But if I played that club with her another time, I would absolutely bring it and uh, and play cool. with it. Yeah. Hey, so when you post it in the show notes, post a picture of it if you can. Okay. Yeah, that's a good idea. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Okay. Yeah. We'll do. Yeah. We had. Um, we had a kind of a cool email that came to us with a bunch of interesting questions, didn't we? We did. Lewis writes, uh, you want me to read it or you got it? You go. Okay. He said, uh, well, he first says how much he likes the podcast, which is. Awesome. Yay, Lewis. Thanks, man. Uh, he says topics that I have been wondering about and would love to hear your thoughts. Firstly, I know you have talked a fair bit about Facebook in terms of adverts. But after you play, how do you get new fans to go and like the page? Is it still important to have a mailing list or is Facebook so ubiquitous now that it has superseded the need for email? Do you encourage or even allow people to post videos from your shows? Uh, I'm going to I'm going to read. You know what? Let's let's go one by one. That's totally fine. So let's yeah, let's go right there. Yeah. So. We've spent an inordinate amount of time in this podcast talking about Facebook and its its relative value and use. And and my my thinking on it continues to evolve. It's it, here's the deal: without a doubt, you can get a message out on Facebook. Yes. People are there. You know, people are there. They're reading stuff. They're opting into reading certain things. Um, you know, you can target. I mean, there's all sorts of reasons why Facebook makes sense as a means to get a message out. Whether it's a cost-effective way to do that is hard to, I think it's hard to measure. You're the advertising guy, so you can say, I can say that in general, um, when I've tried to market a show with tickets, um, the best way I can tell whether it's, it's, it's doing anything is if it's people that I don't already know, whether they're, whether they're buying tickets, right? So did, did find me any new people by advertising for them? Because I can talk to the people I know through messaging and through, you know, inviting them to an event. And, you know, there's a few different ways that I can get an event in front of people. Sure. And so, you know, so, so net net without a doubt, people are on Facebook without a doubt. You can narrow the audience that you want to talk to um, and you can get something out. I don't know that, that it is a particularly, effective call to action. It doesn't seem to work for me. 50 cents for a guy to click on a like on my event seems like bad money, right? Yep. At the, is, you know, is my opinion about Facebook. So that's part one of the answer. The next part of the answer is I think Facebook is still one of many ways to get things out. A lot of people don't use Facebook. Face, uh, you know, remember marketing is all about getting impressions in front of people's eyes. And so why wouldn't you do both send out a mass email in addition to creating an event and, and advertising an event? So I would just say, don't look at Facebook as the only way to get in front of people. That would be the next thing I would say. Yeah. And then, um, so the, the third part of this, the question about, you know, video and audio, you know, I, here's where my head is. It is just a fact that that's what happens. So, you know, in a way, you get the you get the good and the bad in this. You get so many people who take pictures, who don't edit their pictures, who don't fill. They take a hundred pictures, they just post the whole thing. Your mouth's open, you don't look great, and you know some of them. They're not. It's not a great promotional opportunity there. But um, you know, 
the question is, is any, is any, is any promotion, is any press good press? That's, that's might be one way you could look at it. Some people are really into controlling their image and their vibe. Social media is a challenge there, but I don't think there's any way you can really effectively tell people don't do it. And I suppose, you know, knowing that this is the realities of our world now that everybody has a camera all the time, it may affect how you dress. It may affect. Yeah. Your focus and your concentration, you know, you, you will be recorded. You know, if you're doing anything even remotely worthwhile, you will be photographed and videoed. And so, you know, if you're not that just that's just a given. It's a reality. Yeah. So if you're unless, not good unless enough, you're, unless you're Don Henley and you can, you know, impose a, a sanction that no one gets to use their phones during your gigs. But, you know, you can try. Yeah, you can try. I mean, yeah. so so that's that's kind of the three part answer to this is. Yeah. Facebook is a way to get a message out in front of people, gets in front of people's eyes. It shouldn't be the only way. And and then, you know, there's a reality that that in the social media driven world, people are recording all the time. Now, the question about how do you get people to like your page? That's an interesting one, because asking people to take an action, I find, does not produce very good results. No, I mean, a number. Right. Yeah. No, I think I think like you almost. You said a great thing. You said marketing is all about getting impressions in front of people's eyes. Now, obviously, someone who likes your Facebook page has a chance of seeing something you post on your Facebook page. Of course, without paying for that, Facebook sort of makes it so that that won't happen. But um, but, it you know, it, it shows some level of engagement. I, I don't believe that that is worth paying for, though. Uh, like you, it, you know, it's just about getting impressions in front of people's eyes. So. In the moment of a gig, what can you do to make sure that you can get an impression in front of that person's eyes next week is hand them a clipboard and tell them to write their email address on it like that. That's the surefire way, because that's they don't have to then go home and click like. Right. They just they've already they've already given you the like they wrote it, wrote down their email address. You can put it on your list. MailChimp right. will let you do. I think they'll have a, let you have a list of, I don't know, what, twenty five hundred people for free or something like that. So like there's, you know, it, when it's when MailChimp starts to charge you, you are going to be happy to pay for it. Right. Because you're going to it's going to be working for you. And of course, yeah. they know that that's that's their entire business model, at least in terms of that freemium thing. So, yeah, I, I think uh I think, yeah, I totally agree with you. Yeah. I, I'd, I'd actually take this further. Facebook is not your friend. And so, you know, the, just the fact that you, we all spend a shitload of you know, a ton of time getting people to like our band pages. And then we don't actually have access to those people who have liked our band pages directly and not a lot of control over that unless you advertise and pay to do it. You literally have to pay Facebook for the privilege of communicating. Now, people say, hey, it's a free platform. They got to make money somewhere. I do kind of get that. This seems this seems a little oppressive to me, you know, that they give you all sorts of impetus and reason to to generate likes on your band page. Right. But you really don't have any way to directly access those people unless you pay them back after you've done the, the work. So I don't know. I, I say uh, leave leave Facebook as part of your marketing mix, but really think hard about the context of how you're going to use it. Right. So I still think the the best marketing I've ever done for my bands was back when I was doing 
like U.S. mailing lists where we would have people. I mean, this is, of course, pre-Facebook and even pre-most people even knowing the Internet existed. But uh, like being able to mail someone something that they got in the mail and, and like you could look at. Like, I still think there's pro- there's probably value in that. I think it'd be a little weird today to say, write down your, you know, your address on our thing. Yeah. People are freaked out about giving away their, their addresses. I don't know why you can find them all on the internet, but, uh, but, you know, being able to send people like those little postcards that we used to send, people loved those and, you, you know, gave you an opportunity to be creative and, and that kind of thing. So, but you know, what you're saying is actually the, probably the most valuable part of the advice. The best marketing you can do is, is at your show. Right. So there, there, those people have, by the ultimate definition, opted into what you're doing. Right. They're there and uh, they're motivated. And so asking for an email address, sign up for our mail list. If you want, if you did what we're doing, that type of thing. But I personally have found, Hey, if you did what you're doing, give our Facebook page a like almost never works. And asking people to refer your Facebook page. Hey, if you like what we're doing, tell your friends to like our page almost never works. Never. Now, the only time I've seen that work is when people say, look, if you come up and show us that you like, show us on your phone that you liked our page, we'll give you a sticker or, you know, whatever Uh, it is. Right. Like, like, but I mean, of course, they could then take the sticker and walk back and unlike the page too. But, but you know, some level enough people aren't going to, so that can work. But and and to me, that's that's probably the extent of what you should pay to get someone to like your Facebook page. I think now, now that said, between you and I, we could probably come up with what a really good recommendation is. And I'm going to go back to I've told you this many times, Dave. One of the greatest ideas I've heard for band marketing you gave me early on when I started the house rockers and it was about putting coasters out. Right. Yeah. And so there is some combination of some physical activity increasingly in the world, you know, with, with AR and those types of things, there's going to be some really cool things that people can do. The point being that um, a social media contact is, is, is more distant than it seems, even if it's someone, you know, right. So, so, you know, Definitely. thinking that Facebook is going to solve all your problems or Twitter is going to solve all your problems, you know, these, these are challenging things, but what is, you know, if your goal is to get more people um, to receive your message at any one time, it, it's a multifaceted thing, but, but, you know, still doing the chide and chew, Hey, give us your mail list. Yep. Or, you know, running some kind of thing saying, hey, we do most of our communications on Facebook. If, if that's, you know, if you're on Facebook, you know, here's the best way to do it. And, hey, you know, if you give us a like, come on over and show us you give us a like and, you know, we'll give you a sticker. That's that's a cool strategy. And to end, you know, your idea about about uh, a coaster that has your information and your Facebook and all that, that type of stuff. People will like your Facebook page if it's. There's some percentage of them that'll go that extra mile to go seek it out and like it. Yeah. Uh, very few people will refer it. Hey, I heard this great band like their page. That's that doesn't happen that often. But um, but yeah, I mean, growing and really, this is what we're talking about. Growing, growing a fan base. Right. So it, it's a it's a great ongoing conversation there. Facebook it's tempting to make you lazy 
if you just think Facebook's going to do all the work for you. And again, remember, all the work you do to getting someone to like your van page, you actually don't have access to those people in as direct a way as you like. Even when you post on your van page, Facebook is figuring out which people it yeah. really wants to show it to. So, you know, but email, that's different, right? So, you, you know, email, you have to worry about. Uh, all no marketing channel is perfect. Email, you got to worry about clutter. You know, is it you know? Did you do it right? And did you get did you get classified as spam? Is one thing. Um, you know, do you have a good? Do you have a reason for someone to open the open the message based upon a good subject? I mean, all that's marketing is like having the skill of understanding all of the tools that are at at your disposal. How do you use them to the best to the best degree possible? face-to-face, at your gigs, virtually, social media, a tactic about social media. All these things have to be perfected, you know, and continually refined in order to get really good at them. Um, So that's my thought on Facebook. It's part of an overall mix of how you reach out to people to let get a message in front of them. Calls to action are a whole science, right? Again, you're you're the advertising guy. The the way that you figure out what a powerful call to action is and then whether you want that action is to buy a ticket to your show or to like your page or whatever you're asking somebody to do, you know, people get paid a lot of money to figure out the right way yeah. to use all these tools. I mean, that's the deal. It was easy. Everybody would do it, right? One, one piece of advice that I will give uh, everyone is and, – and we learned this just doing the podcast, you know, for the last decade plus – is give one call to action. Don't say, hey, you know, find us on Facebook, find us on Twitter, find us on LinkedIn, find us here. You know, people aren't going to do any of those things when you just laundry list them out. So it's like, come visit us on Facebook. That's it. That's it. Don't, you know, or next time, the next show or in the next episode, check us out on Twitter at GigGabPodcast, you know, over there. Great. Okay, done. Like, but if you, if you barf out all the things, especially at your show, like sign up on our mailing list, like our page, tag us in yeah. photos, do this. It's like, whoa, dude. I, you you got to keep it simple. Yeah. Oh. Then, then you're just asking for a bunch of stuff. Yeah. So marketing is an art and a science. You know, there's, there's you're crafting good messages and specific messages and yeah. specific ass in a specific way, in an attractive way. There's a whole thing to it. So this went off into a bunch of different arms and legs as any discussion of marketing will do. Um, But um, you know, I I think this is the deal is, is uh, consider really the value of, of putting all of your eggs into Facebook, consider the value of what you're going to get. If you are going to get those, if you do get them to, you know, give a like to your page, I track, you know, on my, um, on our band's Facebook page, there's a thing called insights, which gives you all the kind of metrics and tells you some kind of interesting things about, you know, the demographics of who likes your page, male, female age, you know, all those types of things, how you did versus the previous week. But it also lets you track other bands. Um, So you can keep a list of other bands. And basically mostly what it does is how many likes do they have um, and what their current, um, activity is so you know has it grown over a period of time and what their um, recent posts have done in terms of getting interaction and that's a that's a whole nother you right. know science of facebook is what you put on your facebook page are people liking it commenting on it you know but sharing it, it what i'm going to ask is it, you have to and you have to ask yourself this question what's the value of any of those things happening right facebook is really good at showing you reports 
that make you feel like there is value yes. in yes. lots of these numbers. Right. And and they're not the first ones. Google, you know, Google has done this for a long time with their, you know, pay-per-click ads and all that. They, they, they give you all the information you want. But the one that looks the best in their reports is the one that you pay them for. The only one is that, you know, did you pay for the click? But did that get you anything like what, what you, you need to you need to make sure even if you are following, you know, Facebook's guidelines and, oh, you should do this and do that. And, and at some level, Facebook wants you to feel well, they want you to get real value of it. They always want you to feel like you're getting value out of it. But they do want you to get real value because they know that that's what's where your long term money comes from. But uh, you just like b- before you spend all of your time and effort and money blindly on on these things, like ask yourself and, and even continually ask yourself, what's what true value is this bringing me? Because I will tell you, you know, we we do Facebook stuff. We do our mailing list. I should be a lot better about getting people on our mailing list. And the reason I should be a lot better about that is in terms of actual attention that we get from people, it's probably 10 to one mailing list versus Facebook. Mm. It, you know, but what and, and, and here's the other thing is because those those blast posts on Facebook are exactly that people know that they're, you know, just it's in the sea of everything that they're seeing there. An email. Yeah, people know it's a blast, but people pay more attention to that. There's a reason that mail emailing lists are still big, big dollars uh, in terms of advertising and, and just attention. Whereas Facebook is less than that because people spend less time thinking about you know, I saw this post from a band. It's like, oh, no, I, I want to go and get myself emotionally charged up about something on Facebook, either, you know, some cute animal that that makes me teary or some politician that makes me angry. Like, that's what Facebook. <laughs> no, that's what Facebook is for. Think about how you see other people reacting on Facebook. And that's what people go after. It It's not informational for most people. And uh, and, you know, if you want to invite someone to your show, sending them an email is a better way than just posting something on your Facebook page. Now, similar to an email is sending someone a direct message, you know, via Facebook Messenger or whatever, saying, hey, come, you know, here's my event. I'd love for you to come. Thanks so much. You know, et cetera. That can work. Uh, But but, you know. It's great if you I look at the people on Facebook as it's just gravy because I don't own the relationship I have with them there. Facebook owns that relationship. Right. Meaning if those people decide to fall off the face of the Facebook earth or what or Facebook decides as they as they recently did that anything you post to like a page or anything like that is basically not going to show up on someone's feed unless you promote it with, with dollars. Uh, you, you know, you, you like whatever strategy you had is out the window. You don't get to control any of that. Whereas if you've got their email address, now you can, you know, now you can send directly to them and yeah, you, you know, your mailing list engine, whatever you use might change, but you can, st- you still own those email addresses. Like you can move them to a different engine. You can't move your list of Facebook likes anywhere they're not yours you don't own them so i I really like especially at gigs getting people to put pen to paper with an email address 
is the best way to capture that relationship and maybe make it into something down the road. I mean, you're still going to lose 80% of the people that even fill out your mailing list, but okay, 20%. Cool. Let's go. So what you're saying is you need to view this as controlling your destiny with these things. So you understand Facebook is just a tool. Don't glorify the tool. Don't expect more from the tool than what it's likely to bring. Um, and understand that it's limited in terms of your ability to, to drive a result yep. so that it's just a tool and the tool has constraints and upside and downside like any other tool does just understand that, but, but don't, don't overemphasize it. Yeah. I told you that uh, there's one um, booking guy in town here that if you want to get into his cl- club, the magic words with him are phone tree. He's like, now I know that you're serious about trying to get people to your show. If your band is going to do a phone tree, you split up the list yeah. You call three people, you ask them to call three people and that's the most leveraged, you know, and if you think about it, it makes sense. Totally. It's a direct, it's a direct contact, right? It's very active, not passive, right? You're asking for a call to action. I mean, it's got all the things that make a good marketing campaign happen. It's not comfortable. It's not fun, but you know, at the end of the day, ask yourself, how committed are you to, you know, to doing this? And so, uh, you know, Facebook as a marketing tactic really needs to be held up to the light. My assumption is that on small scale endeavors uh, with small spends to support it advertising wise, that it's a challenge to get a result. It doesn't, I mean, you're kind of sharing why, but you know, if you spend 30 bucks and you're going to get a reach to three to 5,000 people say, you you know, you whittled it down to people who like, you know, R and B music and going out to nightclubs and, you know, Mexican food or whatever it may be, you know, for, for, for the multiple times that I spent 30 to 35 bucks, the amount of impact that it's had on my events has been extremely minimal. I would say it hasn't um, it hasn't paid for itself once uh, in terms of dollars that have, you know, and again, again, you be the advertising guy. So you can add to this. Me as the purchaser of stuff, I'd like to see hardcore ROI, uh, not, not just views. I'd like to see sales. Right. right? Um, I know that when we do music in the park, Scott spends the money effectively and he, his goal is eyeballs. Like, you know, we don't have yeah. a problem with people coming to this. He just wants to make sure that this gets seen views by as many people as possible, not even interaction, but nope. views. No, that, right? and that's the best thing you can do for advertising. I really think so. You know, the whole direct marketing approach where it's like, I want to spend X and I want, you know, I want to be able to relate Someone see someone signing up straight back to they saw this ad, then they signed up, whatever signed up means. Right. You know, whatever that action is, that's really difficult because human brains don't work that way. You know, you don't see something the first time and go, oh, I'm in like so rarely does that happen. You need to see something a few times. You need to like there needs to be some trust built. And by trust, I don't just mean like. I, I, I trust that these people are going to put on a good show. Like I trust that this is a real band even (laughs) like, you you know, what is this thing? It needs to be the fourth or 10th time that I saw the name, the house rockers, right. Or I saw the name fling. Oh yeah, that's right. Somebody else talked about that. Now suddenly, right. You've got, they've, they've seen your name 11 times. And now you put out this Facebook ad and, and you track a direct click and you say my Facebook ad worked. No, 
Probably not. It, you know, yes, you can you can draw a line there, but you're you've got blinders on if that's the line that you actually think matters. It's the 11 prior to that that set it up so that that could happen without the 11 prior that you didn't control. You don't know about you can't track. Then that one is irrelevant. It, you know, it's just lost in the sea. So I like Scott's idea about getting eyeballs is a very uh, measured and, and I, you know, I always see direct marketing as sort of panicked, right? It's like, oh my God, we got to get like a, re- a result right away. Otherwise it's, it's dead. Like, no, <sighs> take a breath, just get your name in front of people. It takes time, but keep your name in front of people and it, they will come around. It's just like the, the human brain has not changed in, you know, the last five decades, just because we have computers in our pockets. I mean, I know it's changed a little bit because we have computers in our pockets, but (laughs) I think there's studies. Thank goodness, right? (laughs) Yeah, well, maybe, maybe, thank goodness. I think it's, I think we've kind of like turned our brains to jelly a little bit uh, compared to where they used to be, but that's, it's not changing the marketing aspect. You still need that, that trust. It just needs to be an implicit thing. Like, yeah, I know about, you know, if you see something advertised on it being for being sold on Amazon or being sold on, you know, Joe's brand new website dot com for a dollar less on Joe's brand new website dot com. Where are you going to buy it? Probably Amazon. Right. Why? Because you trust Amazon. Well, why don't you trust Joe's brand new website dot com? They might be just as good. Well, you don't know anything about them. You've never heard their name before. Now. The, you know, the next time you see that happen, you're like, that's interesting. The third time, it's still a dollar less over there. That's three months that, that those guys have been around. Huh. You know what? Maybe I'll try buying from them. But even then, it's still like I'm I'm extending some trust. I hope I get it back. And then the relationship builds. It's the same thing with this. You can't expect to just come out of nowhere with your Facebook ads and all of a sudden – you you know you're you're doing gangbusters. There needs to be a reason that people are going to act. Uh, There's a whole science to it. You know, marketing yeah, yeah, marketing a is a like I said, it. right? It is, and and it, and it requires persistence, and it requires testing, and trying something else if something doesn't work, and you know, and trying two things versus of each other. Yeah, it requires. It's hard for it's hard on a small scale. Mm-hmm. You know, to market. Now, I was going to. I was back saying that you know I track some of the bands that I follow. Sure. And it's, it's, it's an interesting thing on Facebook. There's some bands. I think we have about 2,500 likes for the house rockers, which is That's good. good by many men. You'd think it's good, but some of the bands, local bands that I track, there's one band in Santa Cruz that has 5,500. Okay. That number has not changed a lick in two years. I've been watching. This well, one. I was going to say, there's yeah, a, what does that number get them? That, well, that, yeah. they, you're right. And then, you know, so if it's not growing and if you're not getting engagement on your page, you're certainly not reaching those. You might be reaching you might be reaching a larger number of people because Facebook's algorithm. Yeah, sure. Will deliver to a percentage. Ten percent. Their 10 percent is larger than your 10 percent. Yeah. But, but that's there's not how the algorithm 30, works. Right. Right. Thirteen thousand, fifteen thousand. I personally, the nefarious side of me says that they they bought those things so they can go to a booker and say, you know, hey, I've got 15,000 Facebook likes. Right. Well, because it doesn't make any sense because they're not even with 15,000 people, they're not getting that much more engagement on their posts than I am with twenty five hundred people. And that would be the measure. Like, you know, 
just having them if they're because if if you have 15,000 people, but they're not liking or commenting on the things that you do, you're going to be down the list in Facebook's algorithm for them to serve the content to. Let, Let me let me flip this around, though. Let's say that that band has the same ability, exactly the same ability to put people in a club that you do. Right. You know, they can put whatever, 150 people in in any in, in a specific club. Great. Uh-huh. Now they call the same booker that you call and they know that they're going to be able to deliver these 150 people. It doesn't matter like that. It's totally separate from their Facebook thing. So they call this same booker and say, hey, you know, I know you're thinking about booking the house rockers. They've only got twenty five hundred likes on Facebook. You know, if you come look at our page, we got fifteen thousand. I think you're going to want to go with us, right? Like you could leverage that because I think for depending on what you're doing on Facebook specifically, I think your 2,500 likes is exactly the same as their 15,000 likes. Like it's irrelevant. (laughs) But if you can use that as, you know, a way of displaying really false value, then okay great so maybe it, maybe they did i'm not saying they did i don't even know what bands we're talking about but maybe they did go out and buy you know go on fiverr or whatever and buy a bunch of likes for their page so that they can just break down that first wall with booking agents or whoever it is and then they know they've already got the machine in place to deliver it's going to be great they just need to get in the door and maybe waving that that 15,000 likes in front of somebody says oh whoa holy crap yeah, I'll take your band. You're the same price as the House Rockers. I'm in. You know what I mean? Like that kind of thing could happen. Could be used that way. Absolutely. Yeah. But you get one chance to do it, right? Well, so. that's what I'm saying. You have to be able to do, like it, you get it, it breaks down that wall that will come right back up even, you know, twice as thick if you don't actually deliver when you show up. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. you got to you got. Yeah. But it, but once you're there, it can work. And and that's where marketing can really help you when you've got a great product and, you know, you you can truly deliver and you have to think about what that means. You know, in the case of a club owner that wants to sell, you know, alcohol. Well, OK, like be honest with yourself about what it is. If you know you can deliver on that, then sometimes a little bit of marketing can be the thing that that makes you stand out above above the pack. And there's nothing yep. wrong with that. Yeah. Well, we so have it, we, we have, can do this forever. We have two other things from Lewis that we're going to save for a for another episode. I do want to I do want to say one thing, Paul. Or actually, I want to say one thing to everybody here. You may have heard about halfway through the show. I, in fact, I'm, I can't imagine you wouldn't have that. Paul's ambient sound changed dramatically. That's actually a testament to how great your new internet connection is, Paul, because you actually moved rooms during the recording of this episode. Is that right? Yep. Yeah, that's good. That's good. <laughs> All right, folks. I don't know. Are we doing a show next week? Uh, next Monday is Christmas, Paul. Are we uh, Are we taking a holiday? Let's do Tuesday. Let's do Tuesday. I can't do Tuesday. Break. You, okay. I could do Wednesday. <laughs> But I can't do Tuesday, so I all right. We'll give it, we'll give all the listeners a couple of days extra okay. to open their presents and uh, and play their new instruments, and then we'll dig in on next Wednesday. Okay, sounds good, folks. Thanks so much for listening. We are going to we already gave you the place to find us, so we're going to leave it right there. Find us on Twitter, Gig Gab Podcast. Thanks, everybody. Happy holidays. Yeah, happy holidays. Take care, Dave. Best of the family. Yeah, best of yours, too. I hope you're having a good uh, Hanukkah this week and all that good stuff, man. Thanks, brother. Always be performing. Always. Always.